You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. This episode of No Love Lost is brought to you by FredHeBakes.com. That's FredHeBakes.com. Guys, I know we're rolling into the fall season, so why not treat yourself to some delicious baked goods, like some brown sugar buddies. They are delicious. Head on over to fredhebakes.com and use the coupon code NOLOVELOST to get 20% off of your order. That's fredhebakes.com, coupon code NOLOVELOST. And if you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, head on over to the Podcast Jukebox Network and get yourself some No Love Lost merchandise, like No Love Lost t-shirts and Crazy About Kurt t-shirts. Guys, you know, as always, we just want to say that we hope you're doing well. Uh, and we really appreciate you sticking with us uh, while the world is topsy-turvy crazy. <laughs> so thank you guys so, so much for all of your support. We hope you're safe. We hope you're well. And we want you to know we love you. Thanks again. On that note, Michelle, take it away. Let's go to the island I would like to see the polar bear. There was a crash, and there are others, and there are numbers, and it all means something supposedly, but even though there are times we hang our heads in sadness, we know there's no love lost. We had to go back. I'll tell you what, Will. If I will agree with you, if you can best me in a round of ping pong. I have a feeling that, uh, that, uh, I'm being, uh, uh, uh hustled. Hustled. <laughs> I couldn't think of the word. <laughs> the word is hustled. <laughs> and Ooh. Will, Will, look at me. Look at me, Will. Would I ever con you? Hmm, you seem very trustworthy. Exactly. Is this the face of somebody who would try to trick you? Welcome back to No Love Lost, the podcast about, oh, I don't know, ping pong and computer chess. I guess, yeah, it, this is just kind of a gamey episode, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, we are breaking down season three, episode 11. Enter seven seven. Dun dun dun. Um, it is written by the classic Lost team of Cuse and Lindelof, and directed by uh, Stephen Williams, who has that name directed. Sounds familiar. I would say behind Jack Bender, he has directed the most episodes at this point. I haven't. I should really look overall, but at this point, certainly. Yeah, good for, like, um, this is a well-directed episode. I, I'm still parsing out how I feel about it as a whole, and I'm sure once, by the time we get to our man in white and our man in black, like, I'll, I'll have decided on how I feel, but having recently just watched this, I'm like, huh, I don't know exactly how I feel about this one yet. This episode, I think, is a very weird episode, because... I'm looking at my notes that I have written down, and I feel like there's a lot of information... But I also feel like I have a lot less notes written down, if that makes any sense. 
I mean, it's kind of straightforward, but yeah, it's it's straightforward, and well, I think the flashback is a perfect example of what's both good and good, bad about it. Yeah, and I mean, maybe I'm talking about it. Maybe we should just get right into it then. The flashback. Well, in in my opinion, this um this episode it's it's kind of the epitome of season three it's um somehow really plot heavy and like really good at progressing the story forward you know given that it's a carlson coos uh joint (laughs) um and and did you say lindelof too yeah the two of them yeah it's a coos and lindelof joint um so that makes sense but at the same time it kind of feels like filler and it's like i don't know how something is both so plot heavy and so fillery at the same time and i feel like other episodes sort of do the same but it doesn't feel as fillery like um i i don't know what um but oh go ahead go ahead i'll tell you one big reason and we're gonna get to it in a while i think one big reason why it feels a little fillery is and when we get to the island we'll we'll dig deep into it but there is a long stretch of this episode, which is just a character basically BSing people. So part yeah. of it, in retrospect, it's like, did it matter? Yeah. We'll and, get to that. And, and like, uh, the um, B-plot of this episode is something kind of fun and lighthearted. Um, but at the same time, uh, I, I definitely remember hearing uh, a some critics complain about how it's like, oh, is this what our plots are now? <laughs> is this what we've been reduced to in season three? <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, if this happens to be your first episode of our podcast, just as a heads up, this is your fair spoiler alert warning. We could be talking about any given plot at any point in the series timeline. So just to be forewarned, we might spoil the entire series for you. So, let's talk about this flashback. It's a good one. Yeah, I find this flashback to be both... I I, I feel it's kind of very brief and very straightforward in a lot of ways, but I also find it incredibly powerful. Yes, it's... um, I mean, it does kind of suffer from kind of similar stuff of other flashbacks in this season in that it feels a little out of time. Like... I don't know how old Saeed is supposed to be during these flashbacks. I don't know when it takes place. I don't know when he went to Paris. But, like, if you put that aside, everything else in it is really freaking good. Yeah, it's funny. You said it's indicative of season three. It's like, when did Locke go live in a commune? When did Kate get married? When did Saeed become a chef in Paris? Um, It's almost as if Will... We're not looking at a point in their timeline. It's almost as if we're looking into windows of an alternate universe. Uh, I I would love the idea that season three turns out to be part of the sideways, flash sideways (laughs) of season six. Oh, Uh, man. (laughs) But, um, uh, yeah, Saeed is in Paris, uh, much like uh, the rat in Ratatouille. He's become a chef in Paris. I mean, he's doing what we're all doing, which is uh, cooking a lot more <laughs> than we normally did. Um, And 
he's called out to meet a uh, a customer who really enjoyed his uh, his meal and he's going by a fake name he's going by the name uh, Najin and this man Sammy uh confront not confronts him but talks to him and is like yeah. hey I love the I love the food my uh, compliments to the chef uh, I want to sit down and chat with you. Yeah, let's let's just friggin' talk. And uh, Saeed is immediately like, mm, "This ain't right." You know, his 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 alarm bells kind of start going off. But the guy says he's he immediately recognizes that Saeed is Iraqi, even though he denies it at first. And the guy's like, uh, "I'm looking for a chef for my restaurant." Like, and Saeed's like. Based on one meal, you want to hire me? But he does, I think, kind of get Saeed with the line of, like, knowing what it's like to be a, uh, an outsider. Yeah. Um, I, this isn't the proper podcast for it, but especially in the in more recent years, like, uh, kind of like the U.S., France has also been known for a little bit of Islamophobia, so it's fair to assume that even if Saeed is trying his best, that he's still being met with, you know, prejudice, e- even in even in what it should be, you know, a free country. Yeah. And uh, whenever this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it's funny because, you know, we talk about Saeed's uh, military past, but that's all from. The first war in Iraq. Yeah, yeah, in the early 90s, right? Yeah, because, or like he was part of the Republican Guard. Uh, like, I think what we think of Iraq, he's part of the, he's not, he wasn't part of the Republican Guard when there's, yeah, I'm making, it's not, he wasn't in the Gulf War, but he was part of the Republican Guard. It wasn't necessarily a war with a, 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 a I, I don't know, because, the timeline of the show, right? He couldn't have been in the second Gulf War. No, I don't think so. No, I don't Are think we, so. Have we just screwed up Saeed's timeline? Have we just tipped our hand that we don't understand <laughs> Saeed's timeline? Oh, no. Timeline? Because we went to war with Iraq in, what, 2002? And they crashed in 2004? So mm. I guess he could have. I don't think that's the case Uh, i don't know man (laughs) 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 i'm gonna go ahead and say no because uh at what point would he have moved to paris to start a new life as a chef either way it's a time period in world history where iraq is you know it's uh, looked at a little shady well again just like islamophobia exists everywhere yeah and it's upsetting so, um, he goes to the restaurant. Uh, which, correct me if I'm wrong, is the actor playing Sammy, is that the doctor from the first Iron Man film? Oh, I think you're right. He looked really familiar, and I was like, is that the guy who helped Tony Stark build his first suit? Yeah, good for him. Yeah, that's awesome. I I would kill to be in an MCU movie, man. Uh, well, you know, 
I mean, God willing, we have movies again one day. Maybe one day. Maybe you could be in one. Um, <laughs> so, so um, they're at the restaurant, and he introduces uh, Saeed to his wife. And Saeed immediately, like, there's immediately recognition in his eyes. Yeah, and, you know, again, kudos to the episode for this, because, like, there's immediately something there, and... Like, my my first thought initially was, like, oh, were these two romantically involved at some point? Like, was yeah. there another woman besides Nadia? And that is not what happened. <laughs> um, And when he shakes her hand, you see that it's all burnt. So immediately it kind of tips off. Again, this is really good. This is really good stuff. This is yeah. really good directing. This is really good acting. Like all every every beat of this scene is really good at building tension and it tells you exactly how the rest of this flashback is going to play out, man. And they're like, "Are you sure this is him?" And so it's like, "Huh?" And they jump him basically. They have him. They've captured him. And Oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Because basically what we we find out when he's uh you know, tied up in their kitchen or whatever. When he, Saeed finds himself in a Saw movie. That they believe that he is the man who tortured Sammy believes he's the man who tortured his wife because his wife ID'd him. Yeah. Like, um I really love this setup like can we talk for a quick second about how friggin great this setup is yes because we know saeed has done some terrible things as a torturer but the only time we ever saw him doing it against somebody who didn't deserve it was that very first episode was that very first flashback episode um granted he did torture sawyer a little bit on the island itself, but eh, same episode. We haven't seen him torture anybody who wasn't also kind of asking for it um, since yeah. then. Um, and so we know in the back of our mind that he has definitely tortured innocent people, but we've never had to watch it. And we love Saeed as a character. He, we know that when he got out of the army, he did everything he could to find Nadia and to, you know, try to be a better person. Um, even if he stumbled a little bit along the way here and there. So when there's this moment, you know, it, the whole setup of this episode was I didn't do it. Uh, I was there, but I didn't do it. Like, I, I'll be honest, I legitimately didn't know, both the first time I watched this episode and the second time, you know, earlier today, I did not know whether or not Saeed was guilty. Because again, we know Saeed is a good man, but we also know that he hurt people who didn't deserve to be hurt. But then he says stuff like, I would never hurt a woman. And it's like, well, we didn't ever see him torture Nadia. So is that true? I don't know. So this is just, it's such a good setup because of course he did it, but like we have no, we don't want to believe that he did. Exactly. Uh, and and there are those little red herrings thrown in there like him, like he does slowly admit to certain things. And then you're like, well, maybe she did just see him there and maybe he is just 
she's projecting like all of the torturers onto the one man she saw and remembered from that place but he's not the one who poured the oil on her hands or or did because saeed keeps denying it we also know that saeed is kind of an honorable dude yeah so for him to be lying so so much so adamantly yeah yeah and basically uh sammy's like like she was questioned for three months like she's not confused yeah basically saeed's gaslighting her like yeah. no it wasn't me i didn't do that you're uh, yeah you're just confused and the uh, and he He's like, if she recognized you just from a mere glimpse, like, she has to be right. And he basically says, you got to admit this or you're going to die. Yeah. Basically, yeah, you're going to leave here in pieces if you don't just fess up. And really, it's it's two scenes in a row where he's being interrogated and tortured by the the husband. One with the wife watching. And he is beating him and he... He's like, I won't confess to something I didn't do. And he's basically like, well, my wife confessed to something she didn't do. Yeah, yeah. Like, again, this is this is really good. This is really good. And then he's going to beat him with, like, a pipe. But uh, the wife was like, that that's not for today. Yeah. And Because it's still, like, kind of her show to run because it's her pain. It's her, like, the husband's doing the beating, but he's basically at the will of his his wife it's her it's her thing it's on her behalf like if she hadn't identified this guy uh, if she hadn't been like him her husband wouldn't be doing this right now and you know that all leads up to what i i think is the best scene in the episode i mean a little early to say but yeah i concur uh, where she tells this story about uh, these ch- – she couldn't – when when they fled Iraq, she couldn't leave. When they were in France, she couldn't leave her apartment. She was too scared. She was too – and she saw these children torturing a cat. And seeing this, she, it gave her a reason to, to leave her apartment. And she saved this cat, and she brought the cat in, and she she loves the cat and cares for the cat, and the cat loves her. But every once in a while, the cat forgets she's safe yeah. and bites her or, or attacks her in a way. But she forgives the cat. Um, and then she says because of Saeed, she'll never – she'll always kind of have that thing. She'll never be safe because of – him and that to show her the respect and tell the truth and it works and then it works in a lot of ways because saeed i think in his own way feels a lot of those same feelings and he's been haunted he's been haunted by her face by all these people um and she decides to forgive him and she's gonna say like she was mistaken to let him go because she knows deep down that they're all capable of doing what those children were doing to the cat. And it's really like I when I look at the notes from this flashback, it was me almost trying to write down the speech verbatim because Oh my gosh, it's so what good. a great it, monologue. It's fantastic. Yeah. 
No, like it's it's marvelously written. It's fantastically acted and it's superbly directed. Like everything about this this scene is it's perfect. So, yeah, it's hands down the best in in the episode for sure. Uh, again, we're probably tipping our hats a little bit um, in regards to our man in whites. But, yeah, this is hands down objectively the best part of the episode. I think it also like it's what brings it's what makes this flashback stand out and not just be the um, the, the, the time filler that some of the other yes. ones have been. No, yeah. this is there. Like, this moment gives narrative weight to this whole ordeal. Yeah. Um, we should give a shout-out. The actress's name is Anne Bedian. I'm probably butchering. B-E-D-I-A-N. Bedian? I don't know. Uh, I can't help you. But yeah, I'm, she's I'm, wonderful. Uh, she was also... She's... I... I recognize her from a very hilarious episode of curb your enthusiasm um (laughs) in which she um there's a palestinian chicken place uh that larry likes to go to but you know as a jew it's a little dicey for him but he stands up for the palestinian chickens against like the jews just because he loves the chicken and (laughs) and she and, and she has a very funny moment where she's like hitting on him because she's so because she's like runs the restaurant she's hitting <laughs> on him and she's like she's like oh, he's like oh like what like um and she's like intrigued by him and he's like well what's not to like and she goes well you're a Jew and he's like <laughs> he goes like that's true and then later I'm just I'm just gonna I have to say this I'm sorry and here we get a little vulgar. There's a scene where they're having a sex scene, and she's telling him in bed, uh, fuck me like your people have fucked my people. Oh, my God. Holy shit. Anyway, she's hilarious on that episode, and she's fantastic in a very different part in this episode of Lost. Yeah, it, again, like... You kind of forget sometimes when you see people in sort of like the same roles over and over again, whether that's comedic or dramatic. But like you forget actors have a range of abilities a lot of time. And this actress is clearly super talented in that she can go from comedy to drama in the, at the drop of a hat. Um. So, yeah, that's Saeed's flashback. It's very powerful. It has a very powerful ending. It's also the rare flashback where the most powerful thing, I think, comes... Like, you know, I think the awful Jack Tattoo flashback wants us to think uh, the speeches he's getting from Bai Ling in that episode are powerful, but they're not. But this is a case where a guest actor comes in and really steals the flashback from the main actor yeah and and that's not to say that naveen andrews isn't good he's he's great no when he has his breakdown and he apologizes like no he's he's superb as well yeah um so let's get to the island yay which island we're going to the big island right the big island you gotta specify now man there are two islands that's true Going to the Big Island. Yeah. And you mean Hawaii, right? 
Exactly. That's where <laughs> we're going to live out the rest of our quarantine. Can I can I get real for a second? I yeah. have a buddy who lives in Hawaii as a physical therapist and she just every now and then she's an essential worker, you know, and so she's still having to go into the office, but like every now and then just on Instagram she'll just post pictures of the scenic view that is her life. And I, I just get super jealous every single time. I love her, but I am so jealous of her life. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to the big Island, but our, uh, castaways or whatever, they're going North. Why are they, why have they been walking North for two days? We're going Be- on an adventure. Saeed, Saeed, Kate, we're going on an adventure <laughs> based on this random heading. Like, doesn't like the um the heading that they've been using much to Saeed's friggin' annoyance, the way John Locke has gotten it, doesn't it seem like the sort of logic you would use in like a point and click adventure game where in order to solve puzzles, you would have to do things that make no sense in real life? Yes, it does <laughs> completely. He saw the word north. So he's heading north, you know, at at a specific heading that he saw on Mr. Echo's staff. And the the weird thing is that Kate is just kind of going along with them, even though she knows that, like, she eventually has to get to the shore and, (laughs) you know, find a boat to go (laughs) take back to the other island, wherever that one is. So what's crazy about this, of course, is. It, it works. Um, <laughs> Saeed is annoyed about the whole thing. And he's basically, you know, he's like, we're going to have a long talk about this, John. And, and then, every time he says something like that, I'm like, you tell him, Saeed, John Locke is being insane. <laughs> and then the insanity proves true because Saeed comes across a cow and he sees the cow walking back to this barn where we see our eye-patched man that we saw in the pearl hatch, uh, Mikael. Now, you you have to wonder to yourself, what's running through Saeed's mind when he comes across this site? Is it okay? Does it immediately go into tactical mode of like, okay, here are our next steps? Or does he give himself just a moment to go, God damn it, like, I'm never going to hear the end of this from John. I think Saeed is well trained enough that he can he he pushes that part aside and goes completely into tactical mode whereas a jack would probably sulk for a bit knowing he was wrong. <laughs> Yeah, he definitely would. And you know that, like, when the guy has him at gunpoint, that Jack would sit would be sitting there, like, bringing it up, even though everyone's got guns pointed at each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well. He'd be like, is this what, where we were supposed to go, John? Is this where the island wanted us to be? <laughs> Did the island want this man to have a gun to your hand? <laughs> That's exactly what he'd do. Oh, Jack. Um, <laughs> Good old predictable Jack. It's You know, there's comfort in the familiar sometimes. Um, he This station is the flame. And Saeed immediately notices a satellite there. And as Mikhail will tell us, well, this is uh, for communication off the island, of course. I talk to the outside world. That's my whole deal. 
So they're like, Saeed's basically like, well, we're going to go talk to this guy, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and Rousseau is kind of the oh. voice of reason. Of, I love I love Danielle right here. She's just like, I'm out. <laughs> not my yeah, monkey. She's like, not my circus. I've never seen this place. I have no interest in this. <laughs> I'm going to go wait by the stream. <laughs> and as she goes, it's like, no, Danielle, take us with you. <laughs> take the camera crew, Danielle. I want to know what your life is like. But Saeed, in a bit of bravery. I decide- mean, to his credit, it's not like he's just barreling in there. He yeah. is strategic about it. Uh, I mean, and it's like, in fairness, yeah. And not in not in fairness to Kate, but the detriment of Kate and some of the decisions she's been making lately. She kinda wants to just barrel in at one point. She kinda want like at one point John has to kinda like meh like stand down. <laughs> I will say to Kate's credit though, again, I think that's overcompensating a little bit because there was so much of the season where she felt like she couldn't do anything. And, you know, whether you want to attribute that to bad writing which I do (laughs) or if you want to attribute it to just her her circumstances um you know for a long time in this season she hasn't been able to do anything and ever since she got out of those cages like she has been it's almost like they're trying to make up for lost time like they know it was really shitty to put Kate in a cage and not allow her to do anything and so now they're overcompensating it and now she's like a little she's being a little Jack-esque in that like I just have to barrel forward so I can fix the thing I need to fix you know what that is a really good way to look at it uh I feel like that's something uh I would say uh to try to uh defend the show <laughs> from a bad decision Let's see like <laughs> I'm not na- I- <laughs> <laughs> did I fall for your trap card will <laughs> you you may have but I also think you're kind of right like I hadn't thought of it that way of you know we we talk about how we don't like the writing of Kate at the beginning of this season because she has nothing to do that it, because they it, don't uh, let her do anything not that she doesn't have anything to do it's they don't let her do anything yes and this could be whether it's writing overcompensating or maybe it is something maybe it's not bad writing at this point maybe it's Oh, it would make sense that she would be overcompensating yeah. now, like if you just we said. If we wanted to give the writers the benefit of the doubt, then we could look at this as character, uh, as a character overcompensating for their past inaction or their past inability to act. Maybe that's what they were going for. Um, and I would believe that a little bit more if I had felt like Kate had, like, 
actually couldn't do anything. Like watching the season, I feel frustrated, not because Kate can't do anything, but because she doesn't do anything. There's a difference because Jack and Sawyer find ways to be proactive in their circumstances. And it takes Kate a while before she is. And then when she finds things to do, it's really weird and contrived reasons why she doesn't end up doing things. Um, so it's like I always cheer for her when she does things. And then like the plot says, oh, but she won't. <laughs> and that it, frustrates me. It's not but, a great it's not a great season for Kate, who is, you know, she's the female lead of the show. For Yeah. And arguably should be the main character, <laughs> depending on who you ask. Um, but in this in this episode, I don't mind it as much because she's also been like because she was planning on going out on her own to go save Jack. Like she she was planning on this sort of being a girl's trip with her and Rousseau. And now the boys have been sort of leading her on a, a weird heading where they don't even know where they're going, which I don't know if you've ever been out with a group of friends who insist that they're going the right way. And you're like, we could just pull up Google Maps. And they're like, no, no, I know the way. I know the way. <laughs> Trust me. And you're just like, oh, we're going to get so lost. Like, she's been doing that all day, basically. And then they come across uh, this place. So I understand her over-eagerness to overtake this guy. So Saeed decides to go in unarmed so he's not a threat. And then the plan is that they'll, uh, I guess, come in after him. So he's walking up there. He eyes the horse. There's a horse with a saddle. And he eyes balls it for a bit in a moment that didn't make sense to me at the time, but then makes a lot of sense later. And I was going to say, wait a minute. Is this the the horse that, like, Kate came across? Per- no. no. Right? No. It's a different No, horse. it's not. But it makes an argument that there might just be loose horses on this island. <laughs> um, and then he is really taken in by this cat. Kitty! I I feel that feel, Saeed. I feel that feel. And it's kind of, you know, we laid, like the show often does, there's stuff we see on the island that then in a flashback has kind of a mirror aspect to it. Which Uh, is nice. I I like it in this episode. And uh, we also later find out that the cat's name, and this again, why he had such maybe an immediate connection with it, uh, the cat's name is Nadia, uh, although not named after his Nadia, of course, named after the great Russian Olympic gymnast, uh, Nadia Komenich. <laughs> Which, uh, um, and again, maybe maybe it wouldn't ha- be as, as weird given that he just saw, you know, cows and horses, but like, um, I bet that he was not expecting to see a pet, like, on this island, because Vincent is the only, like, straight-up pet we see on the island. So seeing a straight-up domesticated cat after you've been stranded on a desert island for a couple months, like, that's got to be jarring, to yeah, say because the least. It, it doesn't offer any other than companionship, which, you know, in the days of quarantine does mean something, but it doesn't offer anything uh, as serviceable as a horse. So, yes, exactly. Um, that's the word I was looking for. So he's walking up to the house, and then immediately he gets shot in the arm by Miguel. And 
Guy did not. <laughs> guy did not give a warning shot. But then he. But it is kind of a warning shot because he could have taken him out, but he doesn't. He shoots him in the arm, and, and to McCarroll's credit, immediately goes into his character. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's performative from the get go. And he's screaming like, you said I could stay here. I didn't cross the line. You said I could stay here. Which, it makes me so happy knowing that Ben Linus is so scary and intimidating that he insists on everyone being method, even when he's not around. Yeah. (laughs) Like, can't you see Ben Linus just being that terrifying theater director? And when Mikhail is like, well, do I do I have to be in character if somebody comes across me? And just Ben Linus giving him that cold stare. I don't know, Mikhail. Did you have some other idea? <laughs> I'd love to hear it if that's the case. No, I, I, I will stick to the backstory that we, we have crafted. Good. <laughs> <laughs> we look forward to your report. So, um, Locke and Kate basically rush in they get the drop on Mikael and now you know they bring Saeed in and there's almost like kind of a moment of like uh, like a moment of unity between them because Mikael's like look I'm the last living member of the Dharma initiative and he starts to sew Saeed's wound and he lets them into his place and Locke is snooping around and and Kate and Saeed get to hear this story. And just uh, like all the best lies, there are seeds of truth within it. Yeah, he tells a story that he was a member of the Soviet Army. He served in Afghanistan. Then after the Cold War, he was dismissed. And he decided uh, he wanted to change his life. And he saw an ad that said, uh, would you like to save the world? And that was 11 years ago. And already his timeline seems a little weird to me watching this. But but it's a lie, so it's okay. <laughs> um, um, he talks about how... Because that would have put him on the island in, like, in terms of, like, looking at that ad and then heading to the island. That would have put him there at, like, 1993, right? Yes, which, which works out with his end of the Cold War... But not necessarily. I I don't remember what year the others took over from the Dharma Initiative, though. So maybe maybe it is on track. But I don't know. It I seems don't know. a little something to to tuck away into the back of our minds, and we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> um, and he talks about how at a certain point there was a war with the indigenous scientists who went to war with the indigenous people of the island, the hostiles, and Saeed's like. Why uh, Why did they uh, spare you? And he's like, because I didn't participate. So there was a truce. And uh, basically, uh, he's been allowed to stay in the flame station. And this whole thing seems way too good to be true, including the offer of, let me get you some iced tea right now. <laughs> and he steps away and they all go, yep, seems legit. <laughs> um, He steps away. When he steps away, he also goes to check on Locke, who has discovered a charming computer chess game. Very similar to the the one in The Thing, right? Where McCready's playing uh, yes. chess against the computer at the very beginning of the movie. 
Yes. And Account's trying to discourage him from playing. Goes, oh, that the computer cheats. Like, it's, I've been playing for 10 years. I haven't beaten it. And Locke's like, well, I'm going to keep, uh, I'm going to keep playing. Also, computers don't cheat. And that's where, uh, McCready from The Thing would disagree with him. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I really love that movie. It's so good. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good quarantine movie, too. It's a great quarantine movie. And apparently, the people who are at the, sort of station whereabout the movie is supposed to take place. Like apparently they do a double feature every single year before the snow, like before they get like snowed in for the season, they do a double feature of the thing and the, um, and the prequel. Uh, so I think that's fun. But what I really like about this scene is that it's not that I think it really adds anything to the conversation, but if you really wanted to like, dig deep looking for parallels with season one and what's to come later in the season it's another case of John Locke being associated with a game in which there are white pieces and black pieces yes yes um like just be- John doesn't realize he's a pawn in someone else's game man but Saeed realizes he's a pawn in Mikkel's game and he tells Kate he goes oh I am uh, 100% certain he's not in the Dharma Initiative, and I'm certain we're not alone because he noticed the horse was still saddled. Why would the horse be saddled? And the saddle was at, like, a height that wasn't— uh, It didn't make sense. didn't yeah. make sense for a guy of Mikhail's size. So Mikhail comes back, and— you know, they're asking about, um, like, oh, so, you know, where do these cables all go? And do some of them go underwater? And he goes, yes, there's an underwater beacon that guides subs. Which, and- to this series credit, it's like, oh, that cable from season one when Saeed was going around uh, the island and he found that random cable going into the ocean. Yes, Boom. which will come into play later in this season as well. Um, and then he's like, well, we had a, that's how their sub must have found our sailboat. And he's like, oh, you had a sailboat? He was like, yes, they took it, but we did manage to kill one of them. And at that point, Mikkel's just like, why are we playing this game? And they fight! (laughs) And I always love, like, again, to this episode's credit, I know we said it feels very fillery. Um, in certain places but to this episode's credit when thing when he's like stitching him up and offering to get them iced tea and things like that like there is this undercurrent of tension um and so like because we we know that like this guy gives off a shady vibe just from the way he was introduced he's got an eye patch yeah he which means he has to be evil (laughs) um but like there's like but because he's putting on the uh, sort of airs of hospitality, there's this undercurrent of tension of like, this is going to go down exactly how we think it's going to go down, but when? When is it going to happen? And so him being like, yeah, let's go ahead and drop the niceties. I'm done playing around now. It's a really good moment. Um, I think one of the reasons it does feel like filler is because Mikhail gives a lot of information and 
you know, I mean, how important is his backstory if it's a line? Yeah, there are kernels of truth to it, but I think in retrospect, it feels more fillery than... I. Here's the thing. If we weren't doing a podcast where we had to specifically analyze the show, we might not think it's fillery. Like, it might go down real smooth. Yeah, but because I... we're in a position where we're thinking about it differently than maybe the average viewer it's it feels fillery yeah and like again to uh, (laughs) i'm certain that the first time around i did not think it fillery and i will fully admit that i am coming into every single episode in this series kind of looking to be critical uh just given my role on this podcast so maybe if you're just sort of passively absorbing it it doesn't come off that way at all and I will I will be honest like um when I was watching the episode my roommate came by saw that I was watching it and she was like oh how's this one is it is it good is it bad and I was like you know what solid solidly entertaining and which is yeah. not something I can say about every single episode of this series. Well, like you said, the tension really helps. Um, we we have so basically now we've got Mikael tied up, and Locke's like, "I've searched this place. I haven't seen any <laughs> any other person. I've searched every nook and cranny." <laughs> and. Saeed just lifts up a carpet and be like, uh-huh, not everywhere. There's a hatch, buddy. You're the <laughs> king of hatches. You didn't see this hatch. The wind must have blown it open. So, <laughs> so, um, so they leave Locke with, um, uh, Mikhail and the two Dumb of them. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> And the two of them... He's so easily distracted. Dumb idea. Okay, they go down into this hatch where they discover the whole place is wired with C4 and they find these binders that uh, talk about, like, the food drops and all this Dharma. Can I be... Can I admit something to you right now, Will? Yeah. As they were going through and searching this area... And they pull out a binder that says Dharma Initiative Operations Manual. Yeah. I really hate confessing this, but I I believe it's important to be honest with your friends. And Will, you are my friend, so I think I should be honest with you. I thought to myself, God, what I wouldn't give to get my hands on that. That'd be pretty great. <laughs> yeah. As you should. Oh, you got, you man. Got you by time uh, this is over, your whole apartment's gonna be darmed out. <laughs> I mean, considering like that we're both still in quarantine at the time of this recording. Again, like we we've talked about it before, but like I'm living that Desmond life, man. Yeah. Well, you make your own kind of music. Make your own kind of music. <laughs> um. So while this is happening, Locke's like standing guard, but the. The chess game keeps saying your move, your move, and like a like the call of the siren. <laughs> Locke is drawn to it. This is the dumbest move Locke has made. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So like, Locke is like, I gotta keep playing chess because Locke doesn't know it's gonna unlock some secret Dharma video. No, he's like, um, 
if I were him, I would be looking for like a plug for it so I could unplug it so that it would stop yelling your ge- move, your move, your move. <laughs> I guess he's letting like he follows the signs and the sign is saying it's his move, just like exactly. the sign said no, to go north. So I guess thing. it makes sense, but it's also like, can't you wait till they come back? Yeah. No, it's it's one of those moments where it's a very John Locke move to be drawn to this thing, but it's also super stupid to leave this guy unattended. And whether you want to call that a John Locke move or not to leave him unattended, it's what happens, and it's dumb. So Locke starts playing the game, and he wins, and it opens up another dharma video and the video talks about press this for palette drop Which press this for communication it's our good old friend dr so-and-so and <laughs> dr changing name every single time we see him yeah exactly um and uh then he's like press this for communication so Locke presses it and it's said uh, if this is uh if the sonar access is inoperable, press this. And then it says, if the, uh, oh my God, what is, is this the one thing I didn't write down that I needed <laughs> to write down? Basically, if there's been a, like a. a Basically, it, has this base been overrun by the hostile? Yes. And then you enter 77. Which and, I have to wonder if that's a reference to something. Yeah. Just given how J.J. Abrams-esque this show is. I mean, there has to be something to it. But Mikkel then pulled... How did he get free? I don't know. He's a tough guy. Pulls a knife on Locke. While this is happening... I guess the answer is that he had a knife on him. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. he got free. Yeah. <laughs> so, while this is going on down in the basement all of a sudden they find the other and it's miss clue and (sighs) she comes out and there's a fight between her and kate and saeed and and finally saeed's got her and kate sees who it is it's the woman who at the dock told them like they can uh, uh like to Hurley, Basically, like, tell yeah, them never you can come. go back. Uh, we're taking everybody else. Bye. And tell them never to come here. And Kate punches her. Um, so they bring her upstairs at yep, gunpoint. And, and Locke's already outside. And Locke's outside at gunpoint. And we have what I think is actually another good tense moment of a yeah, standoff. Because it's, it's a potential prisoner exchange. But Locke is not buying any of this he's like ah they would have killed me don't do it don't hand her over don't do it and Locke is actually extremely calm yeah because he's like (laughs) come on guys i already did this at the top of the season (laughs) or at the top of last season yeah no big deal this isn't my first rodeo (laughs) although i think at the top of last season it was weirdly more he felt more i think more threatened because it was a it was a variable he didn't understand, but he's kind of understanding things a little bit more. Or he thinks he is. Yeah. Let's let's be honest, Will. He's right, except for all the times when he's wrong. But Miss Clue <laughs> starts speaking to Mikhail in Russian, and they're basically like, 
having Locke's their like, own private conversation. And Locke's like, don't let her talk. And Saeed's not really doing anything because he's trying to figure out how to negotiate for Locke's life, basically. He's like, um, could you, could, no, could, mm, Mm. <laughs> he's like how how do i get them to stop without actually doing anything and basically what it comes down to is that miss clue is asking mikhail to kill her and he obliges he pushes Locke away points the gun at her and shoots her what well i mean this isn't given in subtitles or anything like that but what she's saying is remember Mikhail we are not supposed to break character Ben has been very specific in his instructions and so you need to commit to the bit and he's like but I don't want to I I told Ben so much that I didn't want to commit to the bit and she's like you have to commit to the bit and he's like no I don't want to and she's like commit and he's like fine okay I'll do it <laughs> that's I don't I know that wasn't in the subtitles but that's what it was that's what the Russian was yep yep that is um, 100% accurate you can't don't at me so after he uh, kills her they basically knock him to the ground. Which and he- I, I do want to ask, Will, as far, like, I know she wasn't a big character, but what do you think of this as, like, a saying goodbye to this character? Is it played simply for shock value? Is it, like, a lack of potential because she could have been developed more? Is it more like this actress doesn't want to hang out in Hawaii, so we got to kill her off? She's a- how do you feel about it? She's a fun standout other. She's a more mysterious other, but she's not that important. I, I'm fine with it. You know, it's not like she's the sheriff. <laughs> You're mean. Um, so. I, I, I have mixed feelings about it because on yeah. the one hand, it, it is shocking to see like such a – what we perceived earlier on as like an uh, a higher ranking member of their ranks, but like at the same time, like so, like it's cool that like to to like it's shocking to see her go. But at the same time, I I look at it and I'm like, but she was cool. Like there aren't a ton of people of color that that are over on the other side so like she was a cool character and she was intimidating for the episodes that we had her and i think it would have been really cool to have her developed but like it is shocking to see her go but like at the same time as like that was so long ago and there were so many breaks between episodes it's like if it hadn't been for the flashback at the at the top of the you know the the previously on would i have even remembered her (laughs) Like, so I yeah. don't know. I have mixed feelings about it. I wasn't I feel even, like, yeah. Okay. No, no, no. I'm with you on that. Um, like, I feel like there there could have been more. It would have been real, especially. But it's like, like there's so many characters now. There's so many others even. Yeah, but she's been here longer than some of the newer people that we got introduced to. Like, I, what I would have really liked is a scene between Miss Clue and Juliet. Like, how does Juliet feel about, like, all these performers who have to go out and kidnap people? Like, that, to me, that would have been cool to see, like, somebody who's a little bit more fanatical and, like, devoted to the cause versus Juliet, who's like, I don't want to be here anymore. This sucks. (laughs) The others are just a uh, misunderstood acting troupe. (laughs) They're just an improv troupe that just didn't 
didn't know how to get people to come to their to their performances. So now Mikhail is saying like, "Kill me, kill me," but Saeed won't kill him. He's like, "Nope, your fate is in my hands, and that yeah. is that." So he won't do that, and um, uh. But here's the interesting thing about Mikhail that we don't know yet. Uh, he can't die. I mean, I guess he eventually dies. I don't know. But so, he can't die. wait, when he, so he's like a Beric Dundarian, but, oh man, he's even got the iPad. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> wait, yeah. you, me- you mentioned this before. Um, Yeah, he, like, so when he's saying, kill me, kill me, is he just doing that as like a, haha? so you'll think I'll be dead, but I'll be fine. Well, if that's the case, then, like, why didn't. If he can't die, then why didn't he just, like, not stop at anything to save Miss Clue or... Ah, this guy. She asked him to. I'm just saying. And I think she outranks him, so he had to listen. Well, and again, if he can't die, then why bother with the charade at all? Like, what are you hoping to accomplish? If, like, no joke, if he can't die and there are intruders and, like... I don't know, man. I think that's silly. (laughs) I think it's silly that he's (laughs) semi-immortal. So. Because he eventually finds a way to die, right? I don't remember what happens to him. I mean, I remember some of his deaths. I know at one point he goes kaboom, but is that like it for him? I think we see him after that, but don't hold me to that. (laughs) I don't quite remember. And this is the example of there are a lot of others. Um, but he says, so Saeed's got him there at the end. And basically, like, this is when he asks, like, oh, what's true, what's not? And he's like, I was never a member of the Dharma Initiative, but other things he said is true. He's like, and I'll never lead you to them. And Saeed's like, well, I got a, I got a fucking map. What do you think <laughs> of that? And I love Saeed for it. Like, I, yeah, I love that moment where he's like, why would you think you were my ticket there? I got this. And it's one of those things where you can clearly see that John Locke just sort of, you know, that moment in The Princess Bride where Inigo Montoya uh, asks his father to lead him to the man in black and he just sort of stumbles around with his sword for a little bit. Like, yes, uh, like Saeed is, you know, looking at Locke basically like that. It's it's one of those things where he's so frustrated at this seeming nonsense and like aimless wandering that John Locke is doing that like you can clearly see that frustration getting to him and so he's like yeah I'm friggin smart and if Jack weren't here me and Kate would be the leaders of this island right now and this is the kind of logical rational decision making I would be bringing to the table and then boom he smacks this map down on the table and he's like yeah that's what's up so basically Mikhail says uh, eventually you're gonna let your guard down I'm gonna kill you I won't hesitate and Rousseau's like this guy's making a strong argument for <laughs> I us love, to kill him I love it it's so good she's like yeah good point oh uh, why aren't we murdering him yet but Saeed doesn't want to kill. Saeed doesn't want to kill him if he doesn't have to. And he guess he feels he doesn't have to. You know, this gets into the stuff from the flashback. But while all this is going on, Locke is debating should he enter 77. 77. 
And we don't see what he does. But when we cut back outside, him and Kate are there. And uh, the station blows up. A lock entered this number. He said there were intruders. And he blew it up. And Saeed's like, that was our only way to the outside world. But, um... And the look he gives John Locke is just absolutely priceless. It's it's a delight. This is a series of situations in which Locke is going to eliminate ways from the outside world. He doesn't want the outside world coming in to this world. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's like, did he know this is what was going to happen? And it kind of, like... And because we don't actually get to see whether or not he made the decision of like T minus four, you know, like he's got this smug, satisfactory look on his oh, face. He, so he knew so that we, place was going to blow up. <laughs> so, yeah, the assumption it. is yes, but because we don't see it. Um, but, yeah, the assumption is definitely yes. Just given the look on his face. Um, yeah, he definitely did this on purpose. And. It's infuriating for anybody on the island who wants to go home. It's like, cool, John, if you want to stay here, that's fine. Don't screw over everybody else, though. Don't be that guy, man. Well, if you think that's infuriating, wait till you see what he does later. Anyway. <laughs> um, the uh, last shot of the episode is Saeed sees Nadia the cat again, and they have a moment again. And goodbye, Nadia. But there was a B story, and the B story is... Yes, there was! (laughs) Jin finds a ping-pong table. Hooray! So Sawyer, who's wandering around looking for Kate, uh, notices they're setting this ping-pong table up, but they need a ping-pong ball. And Sawyer also still complaining about people went in to my stash. He sees Paolo walking around with a guns and ammo magazine that <laughs> Sawyer, I guess, wanted. And he's like, and Paolo's like, we share things now. Uh, Sawyer gets in a good Zorro at him. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but Sawyer does have a ping pong ball and he brings it over or a fair substitute for a ping pong ball and he brings it over to him and he's complaining i want what's mine i want my stuff and you know nikki pushes back which we get a good who the hell are you from sawyer (laughs) you tell her sawyer you tell her so he basically says, like, I'm a fair guy. We're going to play for my stash. If I win, we get the stash. And they go, what, what do we get if we win? And Sawyer's like, you tell me. And at this point, Jin and Sun are having a little debate. And then Sawyer's like, ah, you guys seem onto something, basically. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon seem onto something. And... Uh, Son is like, okay, we want no nicknames for a week. This is a stupid bet. This is a very stupid bet. <laughs> but you know what? Bet. I'll be honest. As you know, as as a Latino woman, 
If there was a redneck guy that I was stuck on an island with who gave me a lot of unsolicited nicknames that were tied into my gender, body type, and uh, ethnicity, I'd be pretty sick of it too, in, in their defense. Well, you know, I might get to why this is stupid later. but <laughs> But like, you could definitely ask for more. You could um, definitely ask for more, especially when Sawyer's basically like, I, uh, I'm, I'm basically giving you a blank check. You could do more than, hey, why don't you just like not call me a name <laughs> for, for like a week? You could do more. So Sawyer and uh, comes back to play, and they've picked Hurley to be that champion. <laughs> and Hurley knows he is going to win. Like, he is standing there with all the confidence in the world, and like, Sawyer— We haven't seen the likes of this, basically, since Jack hustled Sawyer. He's ass—Sawyer's always getting hustled. Um, <laughs> For a great con man, he's always getting hustled. And Hurley's like, you got the mercy rule, and Sawyer's like, mercy rule? Like, like Sawyer's totally underestimating him, and he immediately gets schooled by him. <laughs> but which it's you know what if like to see anybody get the best of Sawyer it's fun to see Hurley of all people beat him in a competition and Hurley's a good man so at the end he sees Sawyer sulking he brings him a couple of Playboy magazines because Sawyer uh, is the kind of guy who needs stuff and Hurley kind of reminds him, like, Kate's going to be okay because he knows that this is what's really getting a Sawyer more than even the stuff missing. Yeah, yeah, because, like, at the end of the day, it was never about the stuff. It was about, you know, doing what Sawyer always does is projecting his feelings and, and making it about a thing that, you know, so he doesn't have to think about his own feelings and insecurities. Um, And that's... Uh... That's the episode. Sorry, can't give nicknames anymore. Uh, can I start with my Man in Black? Sure. Um, son, why a week? Why not forever? <laughs> like, I'm going to have... A, there are some other things I could push back on with this episode, but I'm going to have fun with this Man in Black a little bit because why... Like... I don't know. It's like she says it with such, like, this is a great deal... And it's not a great deal. A week. It's like a week. Make it a month. Make it for the remainder on the island. You know? I don't know. <laughs> for as it's... long as the rest of us are on this island, no more nicknames. Yeah. The, actual, a... the actual answer is because the, the writers love Sawyer nicknames. <laughs> yeah. And they could have some fun with him not being able to give him for a little while. But eventually, they need to... Uh, give it back, but it's like, ah, son. Oh, such ten low bucks says that the next episode, he's the next episode with Sawyer in it. I don't know if he's in the next episode, but the next episode with Sawyer in it, he's giving nicknames. I, I'm don't hold me to this because as I've established, we I've forgotten a lot of things about the show. But I actually think there might be a bit of a runner where he can't give nicknames and it frustrates him. If that's a reoccurring joke, I, I take back what I said. <laughs> like, oh, man. Like, if they actually commit to that bit, then then they deserve more credit than I'm giving them. But I think even though some of the other stuff feels a little fillery, 
I think it works so well from a tension level that I don't want to give it my man in black. But Megan, who's your man in black? Um, uh, John Locke making stupid decisions for the sake of the plot. Playing chess. Yeah. It, I mean, I get being drawn to this machine. I love the, I love the, again, the white and black parallel. I love the fact that, you know, again, John Locke doesn't know that he's a pawn. Your I, move. Your yeah. move. I, I like that. But like whenever a character in a movie or, or a TV show does something that leaves the audience going, what are you doing? Like, you have to call that out when you're doing a podcast in which you have to call stuff like that out. So, yeah, that's my that's my man in black is like John Locke. He might be a person who is blinded by faith, but typically speaking, he's not an idiot in life and death situations. And this guy is clearly dangerous. And John Locke just blatantly walks away from him. And that does not make John Locke seem insightful or spiritually in tune with what, what's going on. It just makes him look stupid. Um, My Jacob, and I think I've already tipped my hat to this, is the cat speech. Specifically, if I were to do a specific part of the flashback, it's the cat speech. Is it bad if that's mine too? <laughs> I mean, no, because I think it's it's the standout really think part of the episode. I really think it's it's. I mean, we've talked about it enough, but I think it's I think it's really great. Yeah. Um. My my only other the only other thing about this episode that I want to bring up is that like, um, I remember watching um like I I've talked about a retrospective, um several times on this podcast this lost retrospective that's on youtube it's great for anyone like me who took issue with the very end of lost and it basically goes through season by season on culminating until the end um but one of the things that that retrospective discussed during was um you know the the fighting with the the network that the writers were doing in season three and obviously they bring up the worst episode of all time the tattoos episode but they also mention this episode like and being frustrated by this episode because of like there's an the way they described it was there's an episode where they have a ping pong tournament come on like how is this relevant to anything and Initially, when I realized that this was that episode, I was like, oh, okay, this is this is filler episode. I've heard about this and I, re I remember it, but I don't remember it being filler, but that's what it's going to be. Having rewatched it now and given how, you know, how much tension is running through the rest of the episode, yeah, it does feel a little fillery, but I would actually equate this more to... Um, the episode in season one where they build a golf course where it's like, yeah, it's not the most efficient use of their time, but they're human and they need a break every now and then. And it's also another example of Hurley demonstrating that he understands what people need. Like, and that's the whole thing. He knows everybody needs this fun little diversion. He knows that, like, nothing will bring them more joy than to see somebody best Sawyer. And that what Sawyer needs is to some is to have somebody, t one, to, t to knock him down a peg. And two, to have somebody tell him that Kate is going to be okay. 
And so I'm actually okay with it from like a B plot standpoint, given that it's just it it reinforces how insightful Hurley is as to the needs of the people around him. And it also makes me go, man, how great would it have been if Jacob had just made him the the overseer of the island way earlier? Because the island would have immediately become the most chill place ever. Right? It's true. It's true. (laughs) Like, all the mysteries would go right out the window, and, like, the rest of the series would just be fun hijinks and feel-good times, man. Um, maybe. So that's why Man in Black. Jacob, get it together and just give Hurley the island. (laughs) Megan, where can the people find you? (laughs) You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at TheManguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I also have a YouTube channel called Silver Screams where me and my roommate talk about horror things. And I also am a member of Rooster Team Radio where me and my co-host discuss Rooster Teeth related shows. So go check those out. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at The Real Will Link. And you can buy my book, Crazy About Kurt, on Amazon. So... Until next time, see you in another life, brother. Hey there, everybody. I'm Will Link of No Love Lost. With me as always... Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. And we're here to talk to you about the podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Uh, yeah, the podcast Jukebox Network has been super supportive of us as we venture back to the island. Uh, and so we just wanted to take a minute to thank uh, them and to let you guys know that you guys should be supporting the other podcast put on by this fantastic network. If you are enjoying No Love Lost, definitely give a listen to many of the other podcasts, far, many of which are far less vanilla than we are. Uh <laughs> Uh, uh, Off the Cuffs, which is kind of the flagship show of the network. It is the BDSM kink podcast that kind of launched this whole network uh, off. You've got the Goth Librarian podcast. You have Being There podcast, a great storytelling podcast. You have The Queers Next Door, also on the network. Uh, Proud to be Kinky. Uh, Drinks with God. And a little podcast that's close to my heart, Megan. What is that one called? Will Sean Podcast? Yeah. Will Mm. he? I don't know. Spoiler alert. uh, Not as frequently as usual. (laughs) But you should definitely subscribe to all these shows. Rate them. Listen to them on iTunes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, These are all fantastic storytellers. It's so important to be sex positive. So go support these other podcasts. And uh, yeah, if you like us, you might like them. Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) It makes sense. We're on the same network. (laughs) So yes, rate and subscribe to all these terrific shows. And don't forget to rate them all five stars. And also rate us five stars. Yeah, while you're at it, you're listening to us. Might as well give us a rating. (laughs) You're already there. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, guys.